Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Watch Less, Complex's podcast about movie and TV culture. As always, it's Cal, Deputy Editor at Complex's Pop Culture Vertical, the homie Fraser Tharp, Summerman's in the building. It is summertime. Finally. It's officially summertime. You, you good? Well, this is, I can't really say I'm activated right now. Like, yeah. i stuck inside. You should, you should not be activated. It's a weird season. You, you definitely should not be activated. It's just, I'm, I'm not at my full strength. I, well, I'm hoping that's because you're not getting outside and not because you're, uh, contracting anything because it's 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 bad out there so people like they say in the 90s when i was growing up they were practicing safe sex and they well, they still do but they were they were promoting safe sex and they said uh strap up and it's like now it's just like mask on you gotta at the very least just keep a goddamn mask on you like we can't we can't let this thing keep going but anyway, oh, hell yeah with this week we have a very interesting conversation uh because we weren't we we didn't think it made any sense to do a whole feature on the movies that came out in 2020 because of the aforementioned uh, coronavirus shutting down the th- still shutting down theaters. We don't know if, if tenants going to make its August 15th date yet. We talk about that. Yeah. Know, we don't know. That's still such a crazy statement to say to me. Like, yeah. It's, it's, but because of that, it's, it's instead of trying to cobble together a feature with legit, like seven films on it, we wanted to, open up the conversation. We, we get deep into, you know, our picks, you know, not firm picks, but, you know, a very loose organization of like our top five, the to top 10 best films that we've seen so far. Um, a real discussion about some of the worst films we've seen, uh, you know, a little bit about our pleasant surprises and, and then ultimately some things that were, uh, you know, kind of disappointing as well as again, trying to figure out what the future is going to hold for at least 2020 in cinema and, and with award season, let alone uh, what it'll be in the future. But um, I it think is a full on breakdown. Yeah. It's... The year movies so far, <laughs> all the, the rare highs and the many lows. We, we haven't forgotten about you. You, you. you definitely saw the best TV shows of 2020 so far feature, but uh, this is our supplement to that with uh, a conversation about film. But I think before we get into that, we, I, we can't, start a podcast without uh reflecting on some of the unfortunate like tragic news that's happened over the last weekend uh i think at the top of everybody's conversation with that is naya rivera um she she her body was found it was recovered um she she was 33 years old she is you know was found dead glee was a um first for a lot of different things but i think her character was a uh believe bisexual yeah, on the show, and that did um, a lot for representation at the time, especially given that it's a, a it was a teen show essentially. So you're getting a lot of people uh, in their formative years mm-hmm. seeing some very much needed uh, reflection of themselves. Yeah, yeah, so I yeah. think I've been seeing that on Twitter a lot. A lot of people who really related to her um, when they were coming up were just absolutely crushed right now. Yeah, the impact, and it's crazy because it's it's. That show dropped relatively late in her career. It's funny. She was essentially like a child actress. She was. She worked in episodes of Family Matters. She was on Fresh Prince. She that was, I didn't know. She, there was a Fresh lot Prince. of stuff. Yeah, she did Fresh Prince, a couple episodes of The Smart Guy. Um, she had like 11 episodes of the Bernie Mac show. She was, you know, yeah. really getting in on. A, and I, it was dope to see that it was a lot of like some of the better black sitcoms. That Fact. she was, you know, able able to, you know, have recurring roles on um, before the one before the one time complex cover star too. Yeah, yeah, August September twenty thirteen. Uh, shouts out to Tara Aquino for uh, that. That I remember that feature being really dope. We were talking before we were recording about how uh, you know that it, it's one of those covers that you know some of us 
some mark their time starting at Complex around the time that uh that cover dropped. I uh I I remember for me, you know, going to work at a site that you know was having me work digital, but still seeing the the magazine operation happen and seeing that that particular issue with the way the photos are spread out. She's playing poker with herself. And, oh no, it's a really dope photo. You could find it. Just Google it. You know, those, those complex covers were classic. Yeah. I was going to say that, um, it's one of those, like we've done, there's a time when we used to do so many covers because it was flipped. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to sift through and you definitely forget a few, but once I remembered that she did have a cover, the image came back to me immediately. It's definitely one of our better images for yeah. sure. Yeah, I, th- the, I think I'm going to have to see motif. I've got a stack of mags that I've collected since I've been, I got to see if I have that one. It's probably in my bedroom, but anyway, um, you know, rest in peace and I Rivera. It's kind of crazy. You think about how in the years after Glee, um, you know, in some regards, she kind of became known for like uh, her personal life intruding on mm-hmm. uh, her career. But I think we had seen her get to the other side of that. And she was, you know, writing memoirs and yeah. new roles and shit. So and just being a mom, you know, yeah. she, you know, she had she had a whole son. Like, you know, I, I think she was embracing because I, I don't want I don't think her career ended. Yeah, she was doing. Um, she did twenty episodes of that. Uh, that Step Up show that was on YouTube. It was like direct to YouTube. I think it was. Yeah, they said she did twenty episodes, and the third season was in production at the time of her death. So, I, if if you're a fan of that show, you're a you're probably you know seriously crushed. But also B, it'll be. Uh, you know, I, I imagine there might be some type of tribute episode, like similar to what they did for like Luke Perry when he passed on. A, they they did a whole episode for him on Riverdale. I'm tying him into the story and really, and, and throughout the season, giving him his props as uh, Archie's father uh, w- within the storyline. So, you know, be on the lookout for things like that. Hers wasn't the only tragic news, you know, rest in peace to Kelly Preston. Damn. Yeah, she recently passed as well. She, also relatively young, 57 from 57. breast cancer. Yeah, I, well, she'd been battling breast cancer for a couple years, right? A two-year battle, but I, I guess it still came as a shock to most people because they didn't, I was reading that they didn't really publicize it. No, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd heard much about whatever she would. I, I, honestly, I'd only really heard her name in passing in regards to just like when John Travolta was doing anything in the news. I don't know how active she'd been, and now... You know, I guess, you know, a lot of us are understanding why and learning why. So, yeah, rest in peace to her. As well as Nick Cordero. It feels like once a week I'm going to reference Talking Sopranos, but they mentioned him. Um, he passed at the age of 41. Most known for a lot of work he done on Broadway. I think he was he played Sonny in the, the Broadway rendition of uh, A Bronx Tale from 2016 to 2018. Um, he's done a little bit of TV and film, but I think it's mostly the Broadway stuff. He actually got nominated for a Tony for his work in uh, Bullets Over Broadway. And he died at 41 from COVID complications, which is, uh, which is sad. I think he, I, I believe there is a, uh, a GoFundMe set up for his wife. And I don't know. I know he has a, a, at least a child. I don't know how many people are in his family, but uh, they, they set up a GoFundMe uh, for that. They were talking about that. They, they seem like he was a stand-up dude, uh, Steve and, uh, and Michael Imperioli were really, uh, it seemed like they were really friendly with him. So, you know, rest in peace to him as well. And on top of that, we also lost uh, Grant Imahara, the host of Mythbusters, at uh, 49 to a brain aneurysm. So definitely a heavy week. Yeah, it's a lot going heavy on. Heavy week in Hollywood. Our, again, our condolences from the Watchlist podcast and the Complex Network's family. On a lighter note, we do have the year in movies in 2020 to look at. Um, we're going to get into a quick break. And after that, we'll get into our discussion about the best movies of 2020 so far. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So we're in, we're past actually the middle of the year. We're uh, 2020, quite possibly one of the most hellacious years 
in recent memory, probably in my lifetime. I don't think I've had a, a year start off as terribly as this one has. Although I love having conversations with you every week about movies and TV, Frazier. Um, Thanks, Cal. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. You the homie. Um, upcoming upcoming we've been having we, we, for years. We yeah, no, big facts, big facts. I, I I'm wondering, we're gonna have to table this, but we should probably do something special for your birthday, which is coming soon. On the pot. I don't know what it is. I'll think about it on the side. Anyway. In we're such review the mummy. <laughs> we might need to. That that'll be the one uh live watch. It'll be Instagram live. We'll be watching the mummy with the birthday boy, Big Frage. Um, that'll be the only time I call him Big Frage. Uh, no, the Corona jacked up the year in movies early. We, we, we talked about it before, but it was our South by Southwest. South by Southwest prep is really the start of the downfall about uh, the downfall of the movie industry in 2020. It's to the point where I'm kind of surprised that we're even still able to talk about there being good movies that came out this year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, TV hasn't really been hit yet. That's another conversation about that people are starting to have about when we're going to run out of TV because, um, you know, that, that stockpile is going to dry up soon. But movies really got hit, man. I think it's crazy to look at. So I th- just to give the people context, too, we didn't even do a list on the site. You couldn't. This year because it just seemed kind of pointless. The, but the, the the of what came out. I mean, again, to put things in the context, Bad Boys for Life is still the top grossing film of twenty twenty. That film came out around the end of February, and that's no shade to Bad Boys. It's no shade at all. But but it's we absolutely wild that like January is considered more or less a dumping ground or yes just a, like a slush pile of, of movies that are not expected to define the year in terms of acclaim or box office. Mm-hmm. So for a January, February movie, whenever that came out. Yeah, I think I think it was in the, the January. Middle, right? Yeah, it was. It, yeah. I, it, it, it came out before Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog was, I think, Valentine's Day. And that's the second highest grossing movie domestically. Yeah, so those two movies having those two spots in July is just absolutely nuts. Yeah, we we would have we should have already had a Black Widow. Mulan would Mulan would have come out. Bond would have come out. Fast Nine would have been out around this time. Like there there would have been a bunch of films that would have dethroned, obliterated the latest. And and again, no disrespect to Bad Boys, because a fun film. What, if we did a top 25 this year, it'd probably make the the bottom half of that list. But uh, either way, in July, it's a, it's a nutty situation. But I don't think we can let this time, of this mid-year review of the year. Mid-year go, review of a mid-year? Yeah, <laughs> facts. <laughs> that title right there. Um, I think, uh, I don't think there's any way we could look back at the last six months and not talk about movies at all regardless of how terrible it's been well i think one thing to to point out is that when you're looking at the normal structure of a year kind of like i said again not trying to be shady to things that have come out already but you're not really expecting like last year when we sat down to make the 25 best films of 2019 Mm. very few of them were from the first quarter of the year 100%. 100%. Like, that's just not when the heat comes out, usually. April, so, May is usually when it really starts to kick off. The other reason that it seems kind of futile to make a best list is that at a certain point, it's like, what is really best and what are you just putting on there to populate a list to get it to, like, a, a nice number of 15 or 20? Yeah. A lot of cribbing is done. A lot a lot of letting, th- letting, letting shit you wouldn't normally let slide, slide because you want to... Participation trophies. You want, you want to get this SEL. And I respect respect anybody's game. I respect anybody who has to hustle and make those lists. But uh, a year like 2020, I think you have to be real with yourself. And I don't think we felt it made any... Because there's shit that we've seen that we can't even talk about because the dates are still being pushed back. I want to talk about St. Maud on this podcast. I hope we still get to when the film finally comes out. And I think that's probably part of a, it's indicative of a larger conversation about who's choosing to do VOD video on demand versus an A24 who's purposefully saying, Hey, 
we're not willing to let a film hit digital before it hits theaters. So we're going to, we're, we're down the, you know, fall back a little bit. Yeah. And I got to say, I do respect that to be honest. Um, yeah. Thinking of some of the films I've watched uh, since quarantine started and, you know, just to let people in on the weeds, we get sent like screening links and mm-hmm. sometimes they have uh, like those little fucking mission impossible. This will detonate. <laughs> you don't watch it in 24 hour 48 hour type windows so uh you know i don't know i i will be honest and say as entitled as it might sound i still don't enjoy watching new movies that way well and and i think and i think you do lose a little bit of something even you know we're looking at films that were always going to be released at home first right like spike lee's five bloods Mm -hmm. netflix would have had a, a a media screening probably and it's spike lee like they probably would have shelled out for some limited they would have had to viewings in new york and la for for the general public to go see and enjoy and that's a very big loud movie that i would have loved to see i think on a big screen and i think if i look at i look at something else like king of staten island which you know we're going to talk about our best and our worst films mm-hmm. that kind of fell in the middle for me i don't think it's that great i don't think it's bad but i do wonder if it would have held a little bit more of my attention being like a two and a half hour movie about a guy that does nothing with his life <laughs> in a screening room, you know, Pete Davidson, eight mile. Yeah. I, but I think I, I will say too, though, cause I agree with you, but I do understand that. And, and it's no diss to you. Cause it's just how people take in movies. You're still, you're of the Nolan guard. I think the idea yeah. that the best way to experience the old guard, you, you have to, Shout out Charlize Theron. There's you have to watch movies that are made to be in theaters in theaters that first time. It's as I'm getting older, and plus me just like generally being a hermit, I can watch most films on a screener link. If it's something like uh, I don't know if I would want to watch a Black Widow on a. I'll do no, it. dude. I have this argument with our commenters all the time. Sometimes when I post things, uh, we talked about this before mm-hmm. on the pod and just when we posted other other things about the whole theater conversation. And so many people want Black Widow on Disney Plus. I'm like, dude, that, yeah, it's that's one of my least anticipated Marvel movies. So if it happened, whatever. But yeah. like, I don't want to see something like The Eternals Word. on my TV. And I have a nice TV. You know, I have, this, <laughs> I have the sound bar. I have it as, pos- as comfortable as I can possibly make it. And Word. I do not want to do that. If I don't have to. So I definitely respect people like uh, Christopher Nolan, even though he's looking crazy and crazier by the day. Yeah. I respect A24 for, uh, you know, still trying to hold on to the theater experience and mm-hmm. still like give us something to look forward to. Word. It's- because th- I, this has gone on way longer than anyone ever really thought it would. Like, Thanks. I don't think anyone in March who is at least not a, a wild uh, p- uh, pessimist, I guess, no. no one in March thought that Tenet would be in trouble. No, no, it, 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 it was it was too far gone to even consider. I think, um, yeah, it's 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 an odd time. I think the 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 other thing, which is it's a it's a totally other conversation at some point, but we're gonna have to talk about the stigma of VOD because I think that plays yeah. into a lot of it. it. It's a film like The King of Staten Island. It feels like it's easier to take that to VOD quicker than some of like Universal's doing that with the King of Staten Island. They're continuing to push back the dates for Candyman. I don't think they're going to, they're going to drop Yaya on VOD like they did Pete Davidson. And, and cause the, the flip side to that too is with the Disney, you could go on Disney plus and get like a 4k HDR version of whatever they have on there. But they spent how much money making a black widow they still have to recoup on a lot of those investments so i think for 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 those you should expect a blockbuster to get pushed back for right. that reason alone and you know vod does have a stigma some of it is unfair i think um a lot of it is just same, some good stuff that comes out and at the same time i can't be mad at any other studio that doesn't a have the luxury of what a24 is doing and just has chosen to do the opposite because, you know, A24 is going to have their own problems mm-hmm. when this does let up. It's like uh, we were talking, me and you were talking about this the other day. Does that create a bottleneck effect after yes. a while? Like they're going to be sitting on a bunch of stuff that would have come out in April and then June. And then and now, like, is it going to be floodgates? And are these films still going to be in danger of cannibalizing each other? Yeah. 
Uh, how far does this, the calendar and the schedule get pushed back? It's, it's all a mess. So I can't be mad at anyone for any decision they make because it's so unprecedented. Yeah, nobody, nobody – and it, it, I, I take it back to like late March, early April when we were – I was like soft just talking to some of the people we talked to in the industry, just trying to get an idea of what they were thinking. And a lot of, a lot of the answers I got was just like no comment or they don't want to talk about it right now because I think it's still the, – the machines are still too big to have them grind to a halt so abruptly, you know, and again, during a time where they'd be making the most cheese right now in terms of theater. So, and uh, a screenwriter told me in confidence that, um, you know, some of these films that have just been pushed back and haven't succumbed for lack of a better word to VOD Mm -hmm. are just, the pushback is just giving room to have that conversation. Yes. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, it's it's interesting, and again, these are a lot of convos we're probably at the table right now um, because, again, everything is still so new. Plus, we do still have to talk about the films that we have watched this year. Yeah, um, I mean, hey, it's not all dire. It's, uh, it's it was not still a all. good year. Yeah. So far, there, there's still some real gems out there, and uh, there's gems out there for the public, and there's gems out there for us who are, you know. This is our line of work. Like we're not trying to brag. We see some stuff early. Yeah. And uh, we saw a couple heaters that are in the chamber right now. Yeah. Hope. And I think this is going to serve as a lesson. Not to say that you know you never you never know when there could be a pandemic, mm. but I think this is a, a lesson to everyone too about those of us who got jaded about screenings and like, oh yeah, I'll catch the next one. And yeah, <laughs> turned out that could have been a your last theater experience and b the last chance before God knows when that you could see a hyped ass movie. Facts. I, I still, re- I remember the days where we were waiting to see if, was it? Imagine how much would you pay? Oh, great. This is a great question. Okay. Knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. would you, and how much would you pay for screenings that uh, would have been offered for Bond, <sighs> Fast and Furious, uh-huh. and Candyman? I mean, can't I mean? I know the other two in terms of just the conversation and the potential for content would be more important. I probably would have shelled out a good amount of money to see. I wanted to see Candyman after we got to screen that tra- the trailer. Oh man! And there's the, yeah, I, what a tease, right? And then just show us the whole movie there. You already got us at the Crosby. There's that. There, in fact, there's that. There was the uh, the other like puppet trailer, and then I'm hearing that. Uh, the movie got pushed back again into the middle of October, so we'll see. That might be a film that I might bear the elements to go see in theaters. Because oh, that's another great question. Support black causes. What is of the movies that have been pushed back? What is the movie that you know if it releases in a time where it's not like a hundred percent La La Land uh, vaccine situation? Mm. What is the movie that you will brave Fuck. the Rona to go see? I hope, Whether that's in theaters, a screening, whatever. Hopefully, again, because I know the importance of certain things on the site. If I were to have a get word that there's a screening for, I want to say Tenet, but I think if we're that if we're still in this situation in November, and I hear that there's a screening of Black Widow. Regardless of how mid in the total universe I think the film's going to end up being, <laughs> I I have to go see it. I can't. Hey, not go I want to all the all the bosses listening right now. You got to salute this. Give Cal that raise right now because he's putting the work first. He's talking about the content. I'm not even thinking about content <laughs> when I go see Tenet with my mask and my bubble wrap on. I'm just thinking about. The GOAT, Christopher Nolan. It'll be two days later. I'm Fuck hitting, the content. I'm hitting Frazier on Gchat. So uh, <laughs> how was the film? My God. Crazy. All right. All right. We, we've babbled on along enough. I think we should get into. Yeah. I mean, we were approaching the, mo- the, the time of the year and when, you know, the real like A-list and not like grade A, not A-list yeah. in terms of celebrity and the grade A films really start to hit. Mm-hmm. So, and again, when you factor in advanced screenings, we, we, we saw a little bit of them, but, um, you know, I'm looking at, again, when I think of January and February and how you expect them to be like 
almost trashy B movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen Stewart was in this movie that I saw over the holiday break, just on like a, a random matinee wave called Underwater. Oh yeah, I did really hear a lot about that. that. Yeah, that's a, I don't know. I don't even know if it's on on TV yet, but that's like a fun nothing to do. I think HBO rainy day movie that. It might be on VOD. I'm not 100% sure. I know that film like hit theaters and kind of... It might have hit theaters and VOD at the same time. It kind of came and went, though. It's uh, one of those quickly. movies where you, you can you know almost script it out before you sit down to watch it, but it's still fun. It's still good. And it randomly has like a, a great cast, like Kristen Stewart, uh, Vincent Cassell. Mm. I think um, John Gallagher Jr. is in it. Jeez. That might be how I felt about The Assistant. Now that I okay. think about it more, um, it, it was a tiny film, but it's actually it's a, it's a really important film when you think about like Harvey Weinstein's trials been going on and things like that. So being able to have a film that quietly just puts you as a as a fly on the wall inside of a particular executive producer's office environment mm-hmm. that has that type of scandalous, you know, like why are these young women around here what are they doing here oh there's a new one every week like and and seeing this one woman having to deal with that as an assistant in that environment it wasn't like huge cast um julia garner was in it who i think people probably recognize most from ozark your man's matthew mcfadden from succession had a had a scene in the film as well but like he might be he might be the most recognizable face in the film but it's it's a very it's almost more intense than you think it would be, especially for a film that you don't really get to see. It's not focused on the actual like allegations or the events. It's just being in that environment and living with that. And, you know, having, seeing someone really trying to cope with that. This dropped at the end of January, really quietly. So before we, we read off our list of, of actual cream of the crop, though, I want to do, I want to do one more. Like we talked about stuff that, you know, we liked for what it was. Yes. Now I want to want to highlight some of the pleasant surprises, mm. which were two movies from two of our generation's um, biggest A-listers, mm-hmm. who I think everyone has almost written off at this point. Uh, Bad Boys Three. Yeah. Was a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. I really like that movie. And uh, Ben Affleck's The Way Back. I've still not caught The Way Back, but I've I've heard good things about it. That was fun. It's, it's, you know, it's just a straightforward, you know, heartwarming sports movie. Uh, Affleck's really good in it. Mm -hmm. His promo run about how it was this almost art imitating life situation was a little manipulative. It was a lot. I think, you know, I don't, I didn't really watch it and feel like he was working through his issues in that regard. I think (laughs) there's almost just a point where Ben Affleck has almost broken the fourth wall. Yeah. Like you look at a movie like Triple Frontier and he's playing like a washed up guy chugging back beer. Like, you know, like he just. <laughs> as, as being a guy who probably just chugged some beers the night before. He's just going for it. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at Bad Boys 3. I love, we've talked about this extensively, so I'm not going to dwell on it. We, we got a whole love, episode about it in the, in the chamber. I love that franchise. I love Will Smith. I love Martin Lawrence. I had less than high hopes. No, yeah, movie. honestly, yeah, and and I I rewatched it in quarantine too, even though we saw it in theaters, and um, the first half confirms those fears. Yes, yes, and then it turns up. It's like it's it's the first like forty five minutes. I remember lo- looking at my phone like this is still going on while we were in the screening. But those uh, first forty five are real cringe. Yeah, and and, and w- once they make that turn, it it. it it's just it's what you wanted the film to be, what you hope the film would end up being. So, exactly. Yeah, and and ho- hopefully there's a. There, I can't even talk about sequels to that at this point. Who's even going to be filming anywhere? People really don't even know right now. Um, All right, Cal. Let's get to let's get to the highlights. And this this conversation has been too dire. Well, I, I, what I, are your best films of the year so far? I mean, I get my top tier. Mm-hmm. Top tier, no participation trophy. No, no it's decent. No, I was home. I had nothing better to do. <laughs> the first film I saw that I really felt like that this year was The Five Bloods. Shout out to Spike. I, I, that's that's a top five. Unless unless there's four or five crazier films in this film right now, 
coming out, I feel like that's going to be top five at the end of the year. It's got to be. It's Spike. It's amazing act. I mean, Delroy does his thing, but like top to bottom, the, the, it's a it's a really good ensemble work. The 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 violence, the the way they shot the the war stuff in that film with, on the eight millimeter, whatever the the film the film reel was to catch that vibe of when you know people you were actually seeing that footage from back in the day, I thought was really slick. Um, it was just a just an excellent film. Spike's career like starts high and it dips a little at some points, and I think right he's on a wave of you know a really up uptrend, and I think this film proves that he's. I don't know if he's got an Irishman in him. I don't know if he's even worrying about stuff like that. But I think if he does and he was ready, Netflix just give him a bag and let him do it. After the Five Bloods, I'm looking at Saint Maud, which is a film (laughs) I think only press saw Saint Maud so far. Um, Charm City Kings is on that list as well. I love The Gentleman, and you know another VOD surprise for me that is making my top five so far is Miss Juneteenth. Shouts out Nicole Bahari. Shouts out. Uh, everyone go back and watch Sleepy Hollow. Mm. The first season. Facts. Facts. She's, she's been a putting weirdo in work. show y'all slept on. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I think you you raised a great point about Five Bloods. And it, it, it actually, Five Bloods was a formative experience for me in terms of uh, pandemic viewing. Because like I was joking about before, it was one of those, um, you have, what, 36 hours to watch this or whatever. It's a long ass movie at that. You're stuck in the crib. We're working. It's hard to like find that window where you can really watch it and zone in on it. And that film and how, how much it, um, the impact that it had on me was proof that you can still enjoy a movie in these environments. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the setting. It's, you it's, know? It's, it's almost like a good film can stand on its own no matter what. Well, it just confirmed to me because, you know, I would watch other things like I would watch King of Staten Island, which, again, I thought was just OK. It was mm. cool. And I'd be like, man, is this am I not enjoying this because I had to watch it right now on this Sunday and people are texting me and yeah, you almost feel forced. I wanna, and I want to catch the last dance. So mm. I paused it and then resumed it. Like, shit, did I fuck myself over watching it broken up? Mm. And then I'm watching Five Bloods and I'm like, I had to pause it to do an interview that was scheduled. I had to do this, had to do that. And. The two or three times I had to like uh, truncate it or whatever, it still worked. Worked. It's a good film. It's a really goddamn good film. Can you hit me with your top five? So we have a little bit of overlap. I also have um, Charm City Kings and Five Bloods on there. Gentlemen as well. And then the last two rounding my favorite out are uh, Palm Springs, which just dropped last weekend. And Promising Young Woman, which <sighs> is going to go down as the screening you wish. Yes. You didn't curve. That's the, the the one film I've not seen that sounds like one of the best films of the year. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm not ranking anything right now. I only have like six or seven films that I would call yeah. really dope so far this year. But I think Promising Young Woman could go down as my favorite right now and will be like a top five. And that, it's all said and done. That's but what, I'm also, it makes me anxious too. I'm like, man, am I like overrating this film? Like I want other people to see it so I can talk about but it. But you're not alone though, right? I think there, there are some of our peers who were fi- who had the same energy that you had when you saw it back then as well. Some of them. I don't know too many people that saw it. It was, I think I saw it in like February and it was um, set to come out around April. Oh, that's right. That's like right. That, so. Yeah. I, th- I might've had a March. I think the March screening I had was after we got sent home. Right. Quarantine. So, yeah, I wasn't going to be able to make that. But, um, yeah, I want to see that. Palm Springs, at least Palm Springs hit Hulu, right? Yeah. So, Palm Springs, for those who don't know, new film with Andy Samberg. Uh, he didn't write it, actually, which took me by surprise. Yeah. When I first heard about it, I thought it was one of the other, one of the types of films that he cooks up with his Lonely Island boys, like Popstar, which is a cult classic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's uh, starring and producing in it. And um, it was one of the highest sales at Sundance. I think it might have broken records. Mm. Uh, it broke a record by 69 cents, I think. <laughs> $17 million and 69 cents. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, uh, I read a really great profile with him over uh, the last week and um, 
you know, he was talking about how he's not like a, as beloved as he is in Hollywood. He's not like a big box office guy. Yeah. So with it breaking that record, there was pressure on him to have a big opening weekend that is now alleviated yeah. by just hitting Hulu. So that's like one upside to the situation, even though he would want the movie to come out in theaters and have that you know, theatrical release. And that probably could, uh, that come with that for, for a guy who's been really riding high on the, uh, the, the acclaim of a Brooklyn nine, nine, this probably could have been one of the more interesting times for him to drop a film, just to test the waters and see if he could convert that TV audience to a, to a movie going audience. Right. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it plays great at home. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun original film. The buzz out of Sundance had me really hyped to see it to the point where i Tried to go into it cold. Right before I watched our screener, a trailer dropped that kind of confirmed that it has Groundhog Day trappings. And I was like, uh, you know how you know how I get <laughs> Surprised you watched the trailer. <laughs> I didn't watch the trailer, so I think someone mentioned it to me. I was oh, like, okay. oh, fuck, thanks. Like, you, you know me. I like to go in Super ice cold, cold yeah. if possible. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if I'm committed to seeing it like that much, and I love Andy Samberg, I don't want to know anything. So, yeah. But even, even knowing that one detail, that's basically just the base premise. Mm-hmm. It's a, a really fun and unique rom-com. And it's a really interesting performance from him. It definitely has him trying some new things that we're not used to seeing from him. It's very uh, acerbic, Damn. the humor in there. You know, it, it definitely gets a little dark and nihilistic at points. From Andy Samberg? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, so the conceit, it, it's Groundhog Day, but it opens with him already kind of having been in it. Oh, okay. He, he... So he's already got this, like, pretty jaded affectation everything that's going on. He, he he's living. What was the guy? Char was the guy's name Charlie in a Russian Doll? Yes. Yeah. He was. He was a guy. Time loops she- are all, time loops are all the rage right now. It's a thing. It's definitely a thing. But it's, it's cool to see it in a movie where it has a a beginning, middle, and an end, as opposed to a show that. Right, and you know, Palm Springs has some uh, opposite Kristen Naoti, who uh, she's she's been killing it. Yeah. Recently, I mean, uh, you know, for. Although How I Met Your Mother fans who mm-hmm. listen to this podcast, I don't know how many there are, Four. but she Four. was one of the highlights of uh, that show's dark later years. Word. Word. And uh, she's just been popping up here and there, but always crushing it and leaving an impression when she does. Like, you know, we think of her playing Leo's first wife in Wolf of Wall Street or uh, that great Black Mirror episode. She, she was in an episode that was immediately shot up to top five Black Mirror in uh, the USS Callister episode. Mm-hmm. I just watched that the other day. What a good... It still holds up, too. Really... Still holds up. Really, really good episode of television there. And then another... So an overlap we had was The Gentleman. Yes. That randomly might have been the film I've seen the most. You, you, I've not gone back and rewatched it, but I had. I remember having a lot... I might have put it on once at work, but I remember having a lot of fun with that film. Well, so we went to an early screening. Super early. It. Uh, in 2019, actually, I think it was. It, uh, it might have been the end. Uh, it, it, w- it was the first 2020 film we saw, and I think it was right before the holidays. Or Yeah, so we saw it early, and then they had screenings closer to the release. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, fuck it, I really like this, so I'll go see it again. <laughs> and then, you know, just looking at movies to watch, you know, especially like you know, pretty much all there is to do, especially at the top of quarantine, mm-hmm. is movie nights. So I was like, oh, I think, you know, Carissa might fuck with this. And then ran it back. So I've seen the gentleman three times now. Crazy! I should run it back again. That's what that was. A- I was um, surprised to see some people didn't like it and kind of felt like it was just like a rote version of Guy Ritchie. Mm. I enjoy it. I think the yeah. characters are really richly drawn, and you don't really get that too much these days. Like no. jumping into if people do make a crime thriller, it has like way more stock cardboard characters. Yes. Like, it's rare to leave an original crime movie these days and be like, oh, I still want to spend time with these people. Yeah. I like that it's not a franchise, but I wouldn't be mad if they made a sequel. If you want to make some spinoffs or something with just exploring their worlds before they got there, I'm with it, Guy Ritchie. Like Hugh know. Grant kills it in them. Hugh Grant is amazing. Um, very, you almost forget that, like you're watching a movie and then you get back to him and you're like, shit, I still have like, you know, another half hour with him being amazing. Um, Hugh Grant's really guy, good. Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong is really great in that film. Colin Farrell's really good in it. You want to talk about um, surprisingly good performances? A movie that we both have, Charm City Kings, mm. which uh, again we caught an early screening of. Mm. It was set to come out a couple months um, later, 
Yeah. And obviously, I don't know what they're planning to do with it. It, it has been pushed back. I don't know if they're going to acquiesce to VOD or wait for theatrical. But, mm-hmm. so and, you know, we're not going to be dickheads and go too much into it. Word. But uh, Meek Mill. Meek was good. Really, really good in that. I, I like it. And it was one of those things where, sure, the character was kind of like, him like if i were to talk to meek mill about what he thinks about the world and the streets right now it would be dude in charm city kings but it's still a strong performance i he's has he acted before and nothing substantial i don't think yeah i don't think i'd seen him in in nothing with more than a couple lines if he's done anything with the screen time that he had which was a good amount he was very good in that film i mean but it was it was him as well as you know really dope ensemble of kids Oh, for sure. It was a really good time, and I like the story. That films like that, that it's there's so many coming of age in the hood tales, um, and we've seen we've lived through five seasons of The Wire, let alone other shows that are on TV. But it's still dope to get a show that really feels like where it's set in. You know, it it, it felt like we were in that that bike scene. Super lived in the bike scenes are great. Um, Meek is not even playing. Meek is playing someone with uh, like a much more nuance and, and um, you know, almost wisdom to impart and like wariness. Yes. Yeah. That really highlights, you know, it's not like when DMX used to act and you'd be like, oh, he's just, he's he's just DMX. DMX. Like he's barking at people and, and <laughs> busting his gut. Yeah. So, you know, th- that's really cool. And um, Meek definitely has to come on the pod. Yeah, yeah, and discuss discuss getting into his thespian bag. Yeah, so I don't know, I don't know what's up with the Dream Chasers. What's over, what's in the water over there? But they they're getting in their thespian bag because Meek's boy Chino is in Charm City Kings too, and makes a really impressive uh, screen debut. Yeah, I remember you know conversations about him ha- there being talk of other you know Dream Chasers guys in the in the film. I wouldn't have assumed that the character Chino played was, I, I thought that would have just been like a dope new actor. I've not seen before yet, let alone, you know, a whole ass, uh, signed dream chasers artist. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it was really impressive to see, to see him really take that in, uh, and, and own it and really make it his own for, for not being somebody you see acting a lot. I mean, just in keeping with, uh, movies that we had the privilege to see while they were still being rolled out and were not officially released and whose fates are still up in the air. Um, like I was saying before, I think Promising Young Woman is at least right now mm-hmm. my favorite movie of the year. And again, uh, not gonna be not gonna be a dickhead and and get too much into it or talk around it in obvious ways. But the basic premise of that movie is uh, Carrie Mulligan mm-hmm. is the lead, and it's a it's a movie that tackles Me Too in one of the most unique ways that I've seen so far. Okay, and to kind of give you an idea of the tone and where it goes with it. It's created, but it was written and directed by um, uh, the woman who wrote Killing Eve. Oh, okay. Season two of Killing Eve, mm-hmm. I should say. Not Phoebe Waller-Bridge, obviously, Word. but uh, Emerald Fennell. Mm-hmm. And so it has, let's just say that Carrie has some real Villanelle vibes. Okay. And, it, and it, it, it poses some really interesting questions and has some other really great performances. Uh, Bo Burnham is in it, who, Ooh. for those who don't know, Bo, Bo Burnham is, is a rising star. He wrote and directed A24's Eighth Grade, mm-hmm. which was a critical darling. He's He directs stand-up specials for the likes of Gerard Carmichael or mm-hmm. Chris Rock. So this has him just acting, and uh, he does a really good job as, as a romantic foil. Okay. There's like sequences in the movie that I can just already picture becoming like cult classic fan favorite shit. Yeah. There is a, a needle drop that specifically speaks to me uh-uh. as a fan of the OC in that era. So that's all I'll say on that. But um, <laughs> when you say when when you talk about needle drop speaking to you, it, it can only go like two or three. It's either Hove <laughs> or it's Fleetwood Mac or it's like I don't know some super pop shit. Sky for Ferrer or have you say Homegirl's name? There, I I, I do not want to spoil this needle drop, but the, the, there is a very fun. Needle drop and promising young woman, and I think you know people get not jealous of us, but they think we're living large with with the screener access shit. But a lot of times it just makes it you know isolating to 
have no one to talk to about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm literally just like I'm not being patronizing when I say I can't wait for people to see these things. That, I want to discuss it. It's it's the same comp. It's the comp. We had to schedule a meeting just so he and I could talk about Euphoria like a month or two before it hit HBO, just so we could try and figure out who and what the conversation about the show is going to be. And knowing that that show blew up the way it did, that's a perfect example of being like, hey, I've got this screener. It sucks that I have to wait three months for everybody else to see this show. Yeah. but So again, you know, Promising Young Woman is obviously not Black Widow. It can thrive on a VOD setting. Again, I get, like, if you're, if you're, I, I want to, let me look this up. I want to say this is, Emerald's directorial debut. Okay. Um, yeah, looks like it is. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, so would you want your directorial debut to not come out in a movie theater? Facts. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. If anything, that first film that you make, especially something that sounds like it's this good, it should it should at least be able to grace a silver screen once. In its right. And it's been a while since we saw Carrie Mulligan on the screen in a, in a big role, I think. Word. So this is definitely one that's going to uh, cause a lot of interesting conversation. Okay. Well, shit. Fingers crossed. I guess, uh, you know, we, we don't want to shit on everything that, that we didn't like, but I think it is, it does make sense to highlight some of the worst films that we caught this year. Um, the one I ranted on probably immediately after I left the theater, I definitely, I remember being at work trying to hold myself back from really diving into this film. But the turning, I hope I, I pray that nobody wants to see this film anymore. I, I can't think of a time that you've ever told me a film was so bad you don't want me to see it. I it you would <laughs> like it, you went to school to like learn about, you know, like how to develop story and structure and things have a beginning, a middle and an end. This feels, this feels like a part one to a part two. <laughs> that's going to become the, if it, if the movie ended, I don't know if there's an ending. I don't understand. It, it didn't make any sense. There, again, there's a point where it just, it, it, it goes from like, this is a really dumb movie to you're not even respecting the laws that you guys made in the last hour or so. Okay. So that was going to be my question is going to be, even if it, it doesn't, it doesn't have good story beats. Was it at least enjoyable up until that point? But it sounds like it was. No, I think um, there were a lot of, it was like, they, they set it in a weird time frame and it, it, it there's certain movies that they'll set it in like the eighties or the seventies. Like, yeah, it makes sense. It's drawing co- like um, what's the Roma. Uh-huh. There was a reason as to why it was set at that time frame in in that space. This yeah, film is sure. set in it's set in the nineties. <laughs> it's you, it's, it's Nirvana's popular, but like it it has no bearing on what's going on right now. Aside from you're going to notice how people dress. Finn you're Wolfhard, so mad, and I love it. Finn Wolfhard's in it. Brooklyn Pierce is or, or Brooklyn Prince is in it from um, the Florida Project. They play the kids. Who were kind of wild. If you'd seen the trailer, you see those kids, they they're they're going crazy. I wanted this movie to be better for them, because I'm really big fans of them as uh actors and performers. Um I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you sat through Capone. No, I've not sat I through I sat through Capone. There was a lot of farting. People sometimes make it cliche to shit on a movie. Or call a movie trash because everyone's calling it trash, and you know, people, a lot of people, especially critics in our space, like to be the ones that stand out yeah. and say that, oh, you know, it actually has this deeper shading if you really look at it, mm-hmm. and everyone's just a uh, hive mentality. It's bad. <laughs> it's just it's bad. bad bro. It's not good. It's not a good movie. It's uh, Tom Hardy sucking on cigars like Bugs Bunny and a carrot stick. Is he at least and good? Just, no. <laughs> I mean, he's an he's an artiste. He, per, right? he know, performs. Tom Hardy is a thespian. He makes specific choices. You're never going to get a dull performance from him. You're always going to get the most thought out, wildest but still restrained version of a character that he can get. And sometimes it works well. I think a movie like Venom, yes, completely falls apart without Tom Hardy. Yes, and the bizarre 
decisions that he's making in there. He's almost like a student of what Johnny Depp does in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. When you think back, you know, it's crazy to contemplate now, but th- that what he does in that in that first movie was such a big risk, and people are like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. And they decided to let him cook, and it became this really uh, almost instantly iconic performance. Yeah. So Tom Hardy's kind of from that same school of thought, and, uh, you know, I appreciate him so much. Again, I don't know if Capone would have been watchable without him at least trying, but the end result of what's on the screen is like a Voldemort Word. growling <laughs> and, and spitting and, I, and shitting. I feel- there are two to three scenes of extreme defecation. <laughs> you actually see it? Yeah, or or hear it, oh, man. God. It's it's and it's again, you know, it's trying to it's trying to paint this portrait of this monstrous, larger than life man, and it's trying to show you the clear contrast and opposite of your picture of like Al Pacino. I mean, not Al Pacino, oh. Robert De Niro uh-huh, and uh-huh. the Untouchables. Mm-hmm. You know, it wants to really bring him down to size mm-hmm. and his last days, and show you how far he fell. But maybe it's because it's only set then, but I, you don't really get that picture, yeah. that full picture of that portrait. It kind of just starts there and just leaves you with 90 minutes of him growling at people. If, if you don't read the Wikipedia before going in, you're not going to really get the magnitude you know, and, if you don't know some, who he is. A lot of weirdo dream sequences. Oh, he sings along to the Wizard of Oz at one point. Some of it is is oddly captivating and hypnotizing, I guess. But yeah. it, it's it, it's still capone. There's no redeeming qualities in there, and um, you know, I think people people want to ride for Josh Trank because of the way that he has been done dirty in the industry. Yes, in yes. some regards, like when you look at Fantastic Four mm-hmm. and all the bullshit that went on with that, and you know, it's the films of his that aren't good don't always seem like it's just his fault that they aren't good. Yeah. And to say nothing of New Mutants. Which is still in limbo. Coming out in 2025. Maybe. They said they were uh, dropping it. (laughs) They said they were dropping it. I don't know. You know, if this is is like a passion project of his, it didn't hit. Yeah. I I, kind of felt that way. I'm not going to go too in-depth because this movie is not worth it. But I kind of felt that way about John Henry, which which is another... What the fuck is John? You never saw John Henry. John Henry was, uh, and it, it's it, the way 2020, it makes sense that this man would have one of the worst movies of the year. It's uh, Terry Crews. Him and Ludacris, okay. I bo- they both star. What? Terry Crews and Ludacris. You've already painted a, a ridiculous. <laughs> they star. Terry Crews and Ludacris. Terry Crews and Ludacris star in this movie that I believe they also produced. Um, okay. It's supposed to be, in, you've heard the story of John Henry, the steel driving man. I think Terry Crews, who plays a character named John Henry, is supposed to be inspired by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but essentially, there's... Ludacris plays someone called Hell. Yeah, he's, he plays this guy called Hell. He, for most of the movie, you see him with like this gold plate. It looks like he has a gold sideburn on his face. There's Nice. There's little to no explanation as to why throughout the majority of the movie. And then when you finally figure it out, it's like, oh, yeah. Okay, it's the acting's bad, the writing's bad. It has a story, but it's it's just all around not good. The most re- the best part about this film is the fact that DJ Quick, I think, did the entire score and all the music for the film. Shout out Quick! I uh, shout out to them because again, they, I'm pretty sure they produced it. I'm hoping they gave him all the money he asked for to 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 make. I think it was like five or six songs for this film. Um, I know it hit theaters. I think it definitely hit video on demand. I watched it one day after I watched The Grudge because I think I hated myself. Right now... First of all, I'm going to stop you there. I just want to point out to the people that Cal, if you don't know, is a wild masochist. You gotta watch the movies! I'll watch some shit knowing that I probably won't enjoy it, but just to see what the conversation around it is. Cal is always watching things where I just ask him why? Are you okay? <laughs> and why are you doing this to yourself? You, I mean, I can't be in the in in like what I do is literally try and figure out what the conversation is about these movies and TV shows with our audience. Part of that involves having to sub to subject yourself to mid 
or lower than mid, you know, the turning or, you know, stuff like Bird Box, where a lot of people are talking about it. If people weren't talking about a film like that, I probably wouldn't rush to see it. But you have to see it because people are talking about it just so you can know what you're because a lot of people might have liked it. I don't like I actually it. I managed to uh, I did watch Bird Box, but I did avoid Bright. Mm. This is a great segue, though. And, uh, you know, we're drawing to a close. Yes. So, again, we, talk, we talked about how you are a masochist. Yes. One thing that you know about me that the people should know about me is I have this really strong reaction when I don't like a film and I see people love it. Yes. <laughs> like, not just, like, love it. And I get so confused and bemused and just erratic. Just how? I'm, I'm just questioning myself like, damn, was I bugging? <laughs> Should I have not wa- tried to watch this at 1 a.m. and they just didn't hit for me? Word. And then I'm like, no, I'm not bugging. They're bugging. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck people saw in the old guard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's because Charlize is like the one of the reigning queens of, of, of action. It's That's a big It's not even it. like that's her only bag. She can come back and still do Oscar-worthy drama in yeah. the next one. I don't know if it's because we love Gina Prince-Bythewood and it's, uh, you know, we need more black women directing mm-hmm. action adventures to begin with and not shouldn't just she shouldn't just be relegated to making Love and Basketball facts. and Beyond the Lights. Big facts. Great films. Dog. Uh, Kiki Lane is yeah. also in mm-hmm. it. Uh, this movie ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of a... I'm trying to think. I've been I've been racking my brain trying to think of of a comparison, but I can only give you like the time window. There was a time in the late aughts, early 2010s, where we got this kind of sanitized action movie that just didn't really have much in the way of like style or flair to bring you in. Yes, and seemed like a when it comes to the story. And actually, the old guard does have style and flair though. Yeah, there's some there. Yeah, it doesn't have like the like the it do, it's not it doesn't have like the hypnotizing, balletic action sequences of like a John Wick, yeah, or even Atomic Blonde, which is another Charlize movie that I wanted to like more than I did, yeah. But and, the, and well, the, I was gonna like say the I, action. I think that's another film that people kind of overhyped, yeah, possibly but because the of her. action in that movie is out of this world. Yes, yes. Like I don't know if I want to watch it again, but no. if I saw it on cable, I would at least pause for it check back in here and there like she does that one take yeah i would I would, or whatever i'd rewatch that, that. it's crazy yeah so the old guard doesn't really have anything like that, mm-hmm. that to really like make my neck snap and move but there was a time during that window i mentioned where we had these just these action movies with these plots that felt like they were from people written from by people that like read comic books mm-hmm. but had no idea how to adapt yeah not even just the story, but like the themes of like what makes a comic book mm-hmm. story work, you know. And this—it's crazy because this is actually written by the the dude who wrote the graphic novel that he's based on. Yeah. So it's like it goes to show you it ain't that simple as just getting no. you know your the the same dude to write it because two vastly different mediums, bro. I don't know. Some this thing just didn't connect. It felt like yeah. like super thin mythology. Like there are some writers who really understand mythology and how to make it. Uh, dope Mm -hmm. and really intriguing and this is just like it just kind of feels like the shit you used to think of like as a kid yeah like when you were like making shit up i don't know you know it's shit i used to make up as a kid it's like oh there's these people who have been uh alive for like a super long time since the crusades yeah that's it they no no rules or anything like that they legit just can't die and uh uh people want to study them (laughs) They were, they were conver- because this would have been, if this was in the X-Men or if it was just a Marvel comic, it would, that would be issue number one or the, or Dude. it would be the ha- the first half of the comic. By the end of the comic, you're going to, you're going to get all of that, but then there's going to be some like real world twist or some like injection of, and then this happens and you don't the really get that. The plot is so surface level and mm. I'm not looking for like intricacy. Mm-mm. I'm just looking for like dope mythology. Yes. Like people like my like my man Joss Whedon is in the hot seat right now. He might be out of here. Yeah. Yeah. But that guy knows how to paint mm-hmm. like mythology as well. And even just like even if he's not thinking it all the way through or like the, the lost dudes, like 
what they have put there on the page mm-hmm. at least seems fully fleshed out and dope. And this is just like, you know, a 12 year old's fucking premise of immortal people. Yeah. And they do these missions and, but the government's after them. Yeah, they, and they, they just, they just do the right thing. But one of them just wakes up suddenly, suddenly they just can't die. Like that's, that's their whole mythology, bro. It doesn't make sense. A person dies and then all of a sudden they come back to life and it's like, Oh, you're one of us. Yeah. And then it's easy for, to and die. it teases interesting things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one, you know, it teases about the ways that you could really torture someone yes, who wouldn't die. Yes, and, yeah, there were, there were that the one, the one sequence I think you're you're referring to is really, it was really intense when you when you really start. Hell to yeah, that. man! Yeah. I'm like, and it made me like, where is this movie? Yes, and so, but I went into the movie really hype. I was really hyped for Gina. I was really hyped to see Charlie's uh, Charlie's kicking ass again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know me, I don't sleep. It's nothing for me. I watch definitely watch Palm Springs at like three a.m. Yeah, it's nothing for me to start a movie at well after midnight. I watch this shit at like twelve fifteen, which is might as well be afternoon for me, and fell asleep within fifteen minutes. And then I woke up the next morning like, damn, let me try and finish this. It was just the most tedious watch. Just to get to the end. and it's not a short film. It's like two. It's, it's you over know what it reminded years. me of what. Hancock. Ah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And Hancock again. These it's it goes back to the this, this notion of bad movies that have redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. Like Will Smith is great as Hancock. Mm-hmm. Will Smith and Charlize have a great chemistry in Hancock. But the fucking all the mythology around them and some of the ways it spins onto the story just feels so half baked and kind of like just dumb. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 and the action itself is unremarkable. And that's what the oligarchs. Hancock is. It was almost like it's the the blueprint for a film that is all too prevalent on a Netflix or on VOD in general. Um, I th- but I say that to, I say that to say that. So I watched this movie weeks ago, yeah, and was like, uh, nope. <laughs> but I will happily engage Charlize on it. Yeah. She wants to bless this fucking pod. Always. Or Gina Prince by the wood. Um, that didn't end up happening. That, that's whatever. But, you know, this week the embargo lifts. Mm-hmm. So I say that to say that, you know, if they're not coming on the pod, I didn't really enjoy this film to a point where I wasn't really enthused on doing any other kind of yeah. coverage around it because I didn't think it was very good. The embargo lifts this week and I'm seeing people call it one of the best blockbusters Netflix has ever put out, which, okay, <laughs> the bars in the subway, <laughs> that, I guess. I'm seeing people call it one of the best films of the year, one know. of the best action films of the year. It's that. bringing the genre back. And, and you know, there have been a couple profiles on Gina, which is great. And, again. Deserve it. Well deserved. She should have been had this chance, been had this seat. Mm-hmm. What The action that she directs is dope. It just didn't... Um, you know, it didn't, it, there's no sequence in here that, that blew my mind. None that I remember. No. no. And, and there's none that are topping a, a John Wick. It's very just straightforward gunfire and, and slashing. And, you know, there's a sequence where Charlize takes on some people by herself. And Charlize is Charlize. Yeah. And she has a battle axe. And that's cool. But I never need to see this movie again. No, never at all. But, but you know what that means. Old Guard 2, 2023 or something like that. Yeah, and you know what? I'm. I guess I'm just the outlier. No, or we're the. You know, there's probably some of us, but I think I. I did see a couple of those headlines, and I was kind of surprised because I did see the film. But it's it's currently only at a 79 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, you have to wonder again if 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 this film to tie it all together, if this film was released in theaters. I don't think you're getting that same vibe at all. I don't think people are going to the theaters in droves to see this, right? Compared to some of the other larger action films, they. I mean, and and you know, it's it's dope that a film like this can come out. Again, everybody was involved in it. Being able to do something is awesome, but that doesn't always mean that the film is awesome. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess just to wrap it up, it's July now. We're past the halfway point. Uh, there's no telling what we will get to see when or where we'll get to see it. But there are still some promising things on the horizon to say nothing of the fact that, you know, the Oscars and everything pushed back their window to include shit. Otherwise you were looking at shit like 
uh, Vin Diesel and Bloodshot. Yeah. Being one of the only things eligible <laughs> for like best actor or some shit. Um, you know, Candyman is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't want to see that get pushed back further, but horror in October kind of is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, it almost, it's Halloween getting the October spot makes sense, but I kind of like the idea that if Candyman can come out in theaters at Halloween, that's the best time realistically for it. Whenever Tenet comes out, I'm sure it'll be great. Ready. This man's angry. Christopher Nolan doesn't really miss. I mean, I didn't love Interstellar, but Interstellar's still dope. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been. What do we have? We have Coming to America 2. Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. Big sequel. Venom 2 is apparently still... Is Venom 2 still around? That had an an October release date, and I feel like it's kind of just been waiting. That's not one of the movies that's getting me out of bed. (laughs) The promise of Venom 2 is not, it's not what's keeping me going, but hey, sure. <laughs> we have so many dregs this year, I'll take what I can take. It'll, 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 at the very least, it'll do well at the box Between office. Between that and fucking Black Widow. They're, they're coming out, they're going to be owning the box office whatever weekend they drop, so. Uh, and we need the box office to get back up if we ever want movie going to. Yeah. Have any kind of semblance to what it was before. I, w- I will say I, I think and I guess that's kind of like the final final cap on this this long conversation. It it is the idea that once you feel safe enough to hit a theater, especially a theater that might be smaller than some of the regular chains, it's probably just like you would support a local business. You should hit your theaters if they, if you want to see that stuff still thrive because they're they're not able to. They can't sustain off of whatever on demand services or stubs. I think a lot of the stub stuff got halted as well, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, you know, it's it's there's no support your theaters. Yeah, facts, you got to support your theaters. Support your film bro favorite companies. If you buy an A24 merch, you better be out there when the Green Knight comes out. That shit look crazy. Yeah. Uh, Saint Maud is dope. Saint Maud is like a horror twist on um, uh, First Reforms. Yeah, to me, kind of First Cow. First Cow is on VOD, but technically, that's because it did have a light theatrical release. Very so small. Still yeah. sticking to their word. Very small. Um, Very small. Yeah, man. Charm City Kings, Promising Young Woman. These things are gonna come out sometime soon, and they are definitely all worth your time. So you know. Checking in at the halfway mark of what has definitely been one of the weirdest, strangest years of uh, movie going, but um, with some proof that no matter what happens, the industry is still going to be resilient and turn out some gems. Facts. Big facts. All right. Well, that does it for this week. For the homie Frazier, this is your boy Cal, advising you as always to stay six feet away from anybody that is not in close contact with you. Keep mask on deck. I know for me, it's hard to uh, remember my one. So if you got one that you carry around with you, make sure you put one in the whip or in your backpack, in your back pocket, whatever works. Um, don't be a dickhead at anywhere. IRL, online, we don't need that type of energy around us. Tune in and watch less. Peace. Watch Less is hosted by Fraser Tharp and myself, Cal. Our producer is Taliba Newman. Associate producer and sound engineer is Jasmine Plata. Production manager, Chancel Correa. Talent booker, Anthony Allred. Junior booker, Austin Bailey. Our director of talent relations is Kristen Price Harrell. And our senior director of operations is Jen Stewart. Watch Less as a part of the Complex Podcast Network. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.